All right, we are here in the book of 1 John. We are going to be in chapter 3 tonight. Our, our, our subject tonight is called Love Logic, and that is just the weirdest thing. But in our planning sessions, we were, the, 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 the words love logic came up a few times. I'm like, oh, wow, there's some kind of logic to love. And when you think about it, love is one of those things that has no logic. If you listen to, oh, I don't know, if you, if you listen to like famous love songs or like uh, you got like the Beatles, all you need is love. Oh, please. Love and what? Or uh, what's the famous one? My mom always remembered this from her, from her movie, movie going days. What was that, that movie? The very famous line, love means never having to say, oh, crap, give me a break. Love means pretty much exclusively saying you're sorry. Are you kidding me? And, and I mean, what kind of, that's kind of like when, when love is a noun. Love is a noun when you're a 13-year-old girl and you have a boy in class you're, you're, you're madly infatuated with and you start writing his last name after your first name. You are in love with being in love. Love is a noun. Oh, love. We're going to close with tonight, kids. Love is a verb. Verb. Love means you're going to act as... Love means ever having to say you're sorry. Oh, please. No, 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 no. Okay, I wrote a poem about uh, love, the very famous passage of love. This is... You'll find secular weddings. They're like, okay, we got to keep Aunt so-and-so happy and read the Bible. We'll read 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind. Okay, so I wrote a, a love... It's called Love and Not Love. Love is patient. Not love is impatient. Like you need to go and she is just freshing up. Or he says, there's two minutes left in the ball game. But it's a TV two minutes and not a stopwatch two minutes. Love is kind. Not love is mean. Like those jeans don't make you look fat, your face does. <laughs> love does not envy. Not love always compares and contrasts with everyone else in your life. If only you were handy like him. If only you didn't nag like her. Love does not boast. Not love always boasts about that one good thing you did five years ago. Love is not proud. Not love is so proud that you never think you do anything wrong. You therefore get offended when your partner finds anything at all wrong with you. Love is not rude. Not love is rude. Like broadcasting your relationship troubles on social media so that all your friends would fight for you. Rude. Love is not self-seeking. Not love seeks to only get for yourself, like bringing home coffee and never asking if he would also like coffee. Love is not easily angered. Not love always keeps the angry coals smoldering to be reignited at the slightest provocation. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Not love keeps a detailed record of wrongs, like literally your accountant is shaking his head at your attention to detail. Record of wrongs. Love takes no pleasure in evil. Not love enjoys when the other person does something wrong because it means you feel better about the 42 things you did wrong. Love rejoices in the truth. Not love hides the truth. If only he can hide the truth of his addiction, there will be less fighting. If only she can hide her spending habit, she never has to face herself in the eyes of her partner. Love bears all things. Not love quickly turns into an angry bear if he doesn't get his way. Love believes all things. Not love believes the things that make her look good or, ver or that verifies selfish feelings he has had about himself. 
Love hopes all things. Not love hopes to get away with all things. Love endures all things. Not love endures just as much as it confirms that you are indeed the martyr in a relationship. Oh, I'm a saint. Love never fails. Not love is as dependable as the ignition in a reliable car in a scary movie. Whenever the bad guy, whenever the bad guy's about to get you, but you only have to drive away. That's not love. What is it about love? Is there any logic to love? No. Love, by definition, has no logic. If you think about what love really means, it's always putting yourself second for the sake of someone else. That makes zero sense. Nobody would tell you to do that. The closest you get to that is if you're on a sports team and you all sacrifice for the goal. So you all put in 110%, they put in 110%, and you do all that and you try to make the goal, but in a relationship? So we have tonight, we're in chapter three, love logic. And we have a negative example and a very positive example. So we begin, in, we're in chapter three, 11 to 24. And let's open with some prayer. God, I thank you for this time we have. I thank you for uh, the book of 1 John and how just, I love how John just consistently brings a sledgehammer. And he just consistently hammers the truth. And his, his, his words are just so profound and simple and so direct. I just appreciate the message you have through John. I pray our time tonight would give you glory and that we would learn what you have for us to learn. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 11 to 15, a negative example of love, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And by the way, if any of that is new for you, I invite you to check out the Gospels. I invite you to check out the book of Deuteronomy. You've got to start with, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. The Shema in the, in the, in the Hebrew and the Jewish uh, kind of calendar there, you say the Shema every day. And then also in the book of Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. In the Gospels, Jesus breaks down the law into those two things. Love God, love others. Okay, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. Again, John's an eyewitness from the beginning. He's heard all this from Jesus, so he's letting these people know, you think you know truth? You think you got Jesus cornered? I was with Jesus. I was one of his boys. I was there at the beginning. I was an eyewitness. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. That's kind of, kind of creepy. That sounds like, I don't know, like a zombie movie or something. Yeah, but, but we're going to see this in just a second. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So, Cain. Cain is our negative example. Who really did Cain love? We know the story. Cain and Abel each brought a sacrifice. We don't know why they did. They just did. They brought a worship, a, a worship response. Abel brought his and Cain brought his and Cain's was not preferred of the two choices and we're told here 
we skip down here, Cain's having a moment here, and God says to him in Genesis 4, Then the Lord says to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. Look how God's getting all philosophic here. This is the first biblical counseling in all the Bible. Chapter 4. God sitting down with Cain. The first birth. Cain. As we know human birth. You know, wow. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. We have been learning the lesson from Cain all these years. Wow. Who did Cain really love? See, Cain, it's hard to tell why he was upset. He wanted to worship God his way. It was like in his worship experience, Cain was we don't really know why Abel's is preferred and Cain's was not. There's all kinds of theories about this. John gives us a clue here. I mean, John gets at the heart. Evidently, Cain belonged to the evil one. Cain was a sinner. Cain had this, something about his heart was off. Worship seemed to be more about him than it was about God. In fact, that's kind of our question down here, the danger of having a heart like Cain. If your heart is always... See, one of the blessings of theology is that we're, we're, we're especially the brand of theology I am, Reformed, it's, we're told that, that we're totally depraved. That in our natural state, we are always going to choose the self. In fact, if there's two cities, the city of thy will be done and the city of my will be done, in my natural state, I will always choose my will. I will never on my own choose God. That seems where Cain's at. His heart is just so wrapped up in himself so that when he doesn't get his way, he responds. John, Jesus in John 8 says, he's speaking to the Pharisees, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar and the father of lies. John eight forty four. See, John's going here with Cain. Don't be like Cain. He belonged to the evil one. Wow. Wow. He murdered his brother. So when Jesus talks about, you know, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, anyone who, who hates in his heart is a murderer. That's Cain. And since the Holy Spirit also wrote 1 John, which we're reading and studying tonight, the Holy Spirit is interpreting this all for us. Cain, hatred, led to murder. Wow. Cain's life communicated he belonged to whom? Well, he didn't belong to God. God literally tells him, listen, master this. Sin is right here. You need to master this sin. God is literally giving him the way out. And Cain would have none of it. I mean, say what you want. Dude talked to God. Like, literally. In fact, God literally talked to him. The same God who had a relationship with his mommy and daddy, Adam and Eve, had a relationship with Cain. Even Cain. If you belong to Jesus, don't ever be shocked at pushback. 
Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, verse 13 says, if the world hates you. You belong to Jesus and the world hated Jesus. The world got so sick of Jesus, they put him on the cross. They killed him thinking they could stop him. And if we belong to Christ, since we belong to Christ, I don't like the word if, since we belong to Christ, don't be surprised. Now, you might be shocked when you post something on social media and you get pushback. People disagree with you. We feel most comfortable communicating with people who think like us. We don't want to be told, no, wait a minute. I'm offended at what you said. No, wait a minute. I don't think that's true. We don't want to have to defend ourselves. We would rather surround ourselves with an echo chamber of people who think like us and, and maybe dress like us and look like us and sound like us. We want people to affirm us. Life is all about affirming the self, it seems. But that's not the way it is as a Christian because we're going to get pushback because we belong to Jesus. I mean, my goodness, our new brother in Christ, Kanye West, is already getting pushback. People criticizing him for coming to Jesus. The irony is, as they want to criticize his new album, they have to criticize the album named Jesus is King. They have to say Jesus is King to criticize this new young man coming to Jesus, who once was living only for himself. And so many Christians are, are, are aiding the pushback. Like, well, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, they were saying the same thing of the Apostle Paul. We'll see what happens. When God gets a hold of someone, we cheer. Our job is not to go, well, it'll, the, the proof will show itself in the pudding, or you know what, we'll just see what happens on the branches of the tree that is his life, and then I can feel good about judging him because all of a sudden I'm seeing him do this. No. You read the prodigal son story, you read the woman who lost her coin or the man who lost that one sheep, they are celebrating in heaven when that loss is found. Our job is to join that party. Our job is not to sit on the outside and go, ah, get over yourself. Get over myself. We can't do that. Don't ever be shocked to receive pushback. Your love of others should be CMA, not Country Music Awards. Think in terms, see, I get laughs here. I didn't get laughs in the poem. Think in terms of business, concrete, measurable, attainable. Well, how can love be concrete? Well, if love is a verb, you will do concrete, measurable, attainable things. Well, that doesn't make sense. How do you measure love? I don't know. If love is just a concept, you never will. But if love is an everyday choice, if this is like in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, concrete, measurable, attainable, that... That is your everyday duty, husbands, to love sacrificially like Christ loved his church. So think of it this way. I'm going to go old school. I've done weddings, and you'll be surprised. I've done weddings for people who they are the least Christian, least traditional you could ever imagine. But when it came to their vows, they're like, I want the theest, thouest, and musteth. I want the most traditional things possible. The whole rest of their wedding is like this contemporary kind of, you know, candle lighting, dancing, kind of yoga thing. But for the vows, oh my gosh, they want with this ring, IV wed. They want to go old school. And so let's go old school. Because the old school is concrete, measurable, attainable. Check this. 
for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, till death do us part. Those are great categories. Those are concrete categories. Those are measurable categories. Are we in a time of better? Yeah. Are we in a time of worse? Sadly, yeah. Okay, that's all of life. Are we richer? Are we poorer? I mean, it's like, come what may, I'm going to love you. There's never going to be a time where I'm going to wiggle off that hook. In sickness and in death? Okay. I guess a husband can stop loving his wife as Christ loved the church, theoretically, when the, if the wife dies first. Fair enough. But until then, how dare you otherwise? Selfishness leads to death. Selflessness leads to life. Our love logic here. Your ticket from death to life is loving others God's way. Well, that's weird. Yeah, you get a ticket to ride here. Otherwise, you are still in death, John says. We have passed from death to life. So John is obviously talking about categories. These categories are like Ephesians 2. You were dead in your sins. But now, but God, in his grace and his mercies, has given you life. This idea, you are passing from death to life. The same idea presence in a Christian baptism. Dying to your sins and living in Christ. You pass from death to life. You show that concrete, concretely, measurably, and attainably as you love others. Your ticket to life is loving others God's way. You see, there was an issue in this church where these people who were being secessionists and like getting others to, to, to secede from the church and to be dragged away from John's church here were not loving each other. So John, over and over and over and over again in this book, is saying, you've got to love one another. You've got to love each other the way God loves you. No more of this not loving each other. There can't be that not love. Love. Love shows up. Second piece of love logic, hatred is like murder. Murder doesn't belong in the church. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. That's a little bit harsh. It would be coming out of left field if John hadn't already talked about that. Hatred. Actively choosing to reject someone like God rejects them. That is theologically the same thing, according to John, as what Cain did to Abel. Allowing that sin to win and then responding that way. Ouch. And no murderer has eternal life residing in him. If murder doesn't belong in the church and hating your brother or sister in Christ is akin to murder, then love logic, hatred is like murder. Murder doesn't belong in the church. The danger of hearting a, having a heart like Cain. What excuses do you hold on to to justify your selfishness in your heart? What excuses? Because we are all selfish to some degree. All sin can be reduced. I just made a, a, a beef stew tonight. I had to do some reduction in as I made this stew. All sin can be reduced. As you boil, you can reduce things down. All sins are reduced to one sin, and that sin is pride. All pride can be reduced to selfishness, which is why Jesus says you want to follow after him, you have to deny yourself. So what selfishness is in your heart? There is no selfishness in my heart. Wrong. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. All have sinned. And as a category, you are, not, you are no longer a sinner. 
You have been redeemed, but you still struggle with sin. And I do too. But what excuses do you hold on to in your heart to justify selfishness? Cain was like, ah, I did a sacrifice and nobody liked it. All of a sudden they all hated me, so I'm going to kill the dude. He held on to it to an excuse. Maybe your excuse is, I'm holding tough cards, or life has thrown me a curveball, or the terriers are nipping at my heels, or I just don't know. Life is hard now. I've, I've had easier times. These are harder times. So you get to justify being selfish. If there's any point in your life where you're justifying sin, is that a heart like God? No. No. We can't go there. Well, I deserve blank. That's a great selfish line in your heart. I deserve love. I deserve power. I deserve respect. I deserve a wife who listens to me. I deserve a husband who doesn't treat me like I'm a piece of dirt. I deserve, okay? That, how you finish the phrase, I deserve, tells me about your heart. I must be, that's another one. That, how you finish that might reveal the selfishness in your heart. How about, I just feel, don't be a Disney movie. Don't ever follow your heart. Don't let those feelings, don't ever let your feelings guide you. They are the absolute worst guide. Well, I just feel this right now, so I'm going to do this. Oh my gosh, please don't. Talk to somebody who has a little bit more love logic than you. Because we do stupid things for love. Love is like logicless. Our emotions are horrible guides. We make the dumbest decisions when we're just emotional. So that's our bad example. What about our good example? 16 to 18. This is how we know what love is. There was a song, I want to know what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Again, this is not scheduled socialism where the government is putting a gun to you and saying, you all have to do this. This is a person deciding upon their own self to show charity. So before any of you goes, they're like, oh my gosh, that's what God's talking about. That's our politics today. No, this is an individual saying, wow, my brother or sister is in need and I have extra. I pity this person and I want to help them. Okay, fine. How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You know, Jesus didn't just say, I love you. He backed it up, didn't he? He backed up that love. He literally died in the place of his enemy. Since Jesus is every bit as holy as God, and Adam and Eve became God's enemy when they sinned, so much so that God, a holy God, had to kick them out of his presence, and they had to leave the garden. And the wrath of God, because God is holy and just, and the wrath of God had to be exercised against that sin, God legally had to judge sin to remain holy and and a perfect judge. He did. Think about salvation for a second. What are you saved from? Oh, I'm saved. From what? God's wrath. You are saved from God's wrath because you are a sinner in need of salvation. Who bore that wrath? God's wrath didn't change. His wrath was still expressed as he judged sin. 
righteously. Jesus bore that pain. Jesus bore the wrath of God. He who had no sin, we're told, became sin. My sin, your sin, you're safe from God's wrath because Jesus bore that wrath. No wonder dudes in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating drops of blood. Oh my gosh. That's love. Jesus backed up that kind of love. Grow into love like Jesus. Three S's. Selfless, sacrificial, service. How are you as a lover? I'm not talking about your bedroom. I'm talking about you. Love God, love others. Are you a selfless, sacrificial servant? That right there is Jesus getting half naked and washing feet like a servant, like his household slave, taking off his garment, wrapping it around his waist, and uh, washing feet. That is Jesus dying in my place, a sacrifice. That is Jesus serving, selfless. You want to know where you stand with God? Check out those three S's. Apply them to your life. Are you selfless? I know you struggle with sin. Are you a sacrificial person? Check out your marriage. Check out your friendships. The people you claim to love. Are you a selfless, sacrificial servant to them? If so, good job. If not, you now know where you need to work on. You now know how you need to pray for yourself. Verse 18 reminds us that love is deeper than romance. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. There's a time for romance. Romance could all just be fluff. Romance could all just be nice words, and, and you're sitting there in Walgreens in the card aisle, you're like picking all these cards, you're bawling over every one, like, oh, oh my gosh, that one right here. Oh, this one right here. Trust me, the ones that I bawled over most, my wife gets them and goes, oh, geez, you know, like there's extra sappy. I'm like, oh, come on. I'm like, come on, I was bawling over that. It's like, I bet you were, pal, you know. It's like some of the sappy stuff, and then I don't get the sappy card. She's like, I wanted the sappy card. Yeah, well, okay. This is that's life. Oh, well, what it could have showed it. So we, we, just, we laugh about it. We just deal with it, and we laugh about it. There's a time for romance. There's a time for words. But love is a put-up-or-shut-up kind of thing. At some point, love stops being a noun. I mean, please. You can tell... I, I, I go and have coffee every week with a man who's in his 70s. And he likes to joke about when he sees two young people sitting at the next table over and they're all in each other's eyes. And they're all just, uh, And everything she says is the most important thing in the world. And everything he says is, oh, she can't get enough of that man. And oh, that woman, oh, they just, they're, they're just in each other's eyes the whole time. And like, oh. And he says, guess what? One day, kid, she's going to be there. You're going to have to deal with her. You're going to grow old with that girl. And there's going to be times you're going to get tired of her. She's going to get tired of you. Love stops being all about words and about life, about your actions. Do you back it up? Because everyone can do the flowery romantic things. But are you going to wake up and do the first feeding at 3 in the morning? Are you going to let the dog out at 4 in the morning? Are you going to take the garbage out? Oh, I know. We, we have a coyote running around our neighborhood. My dog has already fought off a coyote once, and it's, it's incumbent upon me as daddy to be out there 
whenever she's going to have to go pee-pee in the middle of the night to look, for that kind of, to look for those scary yellow eyes in the shadows and to be a big, bad, noisy daddy at 3 in the morning when I want to go back to bed. Love is a verb. Love logic. Sacrifice your selfishness on the altar of love. If you're, if you're a selfish person, that needs to be sacrificed. That needs to be done. Second of all, selfless love never manipulates or lies. Ro- romance, I hate to say it, romance, and ladies, if you really think about it, those of you who are like big romantic comedy people, romance, when you boil it down, is really kind of manipulation. This guy wants to get inside your heart a little bit early. So he's going to say these things. That he knows that you're going to go back and start fanning your face a little bit. He knows that you're going to talk about it with your girlfriends. He said that, ooh, he might be the one. You know, the guys start saying things to kind of stoke the hearth a little bit, to get the flames of, 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 of going just a little bit. Love is not manipulation, but romance, you can play with that a little bit, it seems. You can get away with it. A little bit of manipulation there with romance. Not love. True love is selfless. It is sacrificial and it is service. That's love. Love is truth, not lies. Love is never, ever manipulation. That's why God was very quick in the Ten Commandments to say, don't make me an idol. Don't make an idol. Don't make an idol out of me or anything else. Because the moment you make that idol, you've got to mow the lawn in front of that idol. You've got to tend to that idol. You've got to care for that idol. Then you've got to quit pro quo. Then you've got, okay, I scratched your back idol. You've got to scratch mine. Manipulation is not love. Manipulation is not service. Manipulation is not worship. That was Cain's issue. There's just enough manipulation. There's just enough going on there in his heart. So he took rejection in the literally worst possible way murderously. Love is more than a feeling, 19 to 22. More than a feeling. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. My dog finally calms down, by the way, when everyone's home. When all the pack is home, she stops pacing the house. She can finally be at rest. She rests for like five minutes, then she's got to go potty or something. Then then she paces the house for a totally different reason, but she's at rest. We can have that with God. Here we go. This is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. You're good. Love is more than a feeling. The blessing of belonging. If you ever have men who need to do, who need, who are struggling with finding themselves, we men are easy. Get us doing something. You watch all those, you know, macho, like, action movies. What is at the, the base, the core of every man movie? There is a mission. Something to accomplish. We're going to, against all odds, we're going to do this. Guys want to belong together. Guys want to do things together. We want to have a mission together. We want to accomplish something. We want to know that we've made a difference. That's guy 101. 
You see, we have that with Christ. We have this sense of belonging. And there's a blessing here. What's one of the blessings of belonging that John talks about? We're able to be like my dog when she finally sees my wife. She can rest. When the kids stop running around the room, she gives them one sniff and she goes to the other side of the room. They're all here. When she finally hears me stomping around or gives me one sniff, okay, he's here too. And then she goes away. All right, the, the, the loud, noisy one is here. The one that goes out potty with me at three in the morning, he's here. But all right, everyone else, okay. And believe me, it's, it's crazy. My dog, they, they must know gender because she allows my son to do nothing. She, he, he can't go near her, but my daughter, she can do anything. She treats her like she treats mommy. And the sun rises and sets with mommy for our dog. But our son, oh, she crosses the room. Must no part of that boy. But she lets my girl do whatever she wants. Bows in her ears and all that kind of, I mean, it's crazy. But she's at rest in mommy's presence. Finally, we have that with God. We have that. That's one of the blessings of belonging. Number two, is God's love enough even when I'm anxious about my past? See, John talks about that here. He says, if our hearts condemn us, and our hearts condemn us when we say, he's talking to Christians here. So uh, Christians, we have a past. I have a past. You have a past. I was at Oscar Wilde. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. It's a great line. You have a past that you regret. I do too. And sometimes we're tempted to be condemned by that past. It creeps back in and it gives us some anxiety. It gives us some depression. It gives us, and we respond with anxiousness and depression. We, we respond with, oh gosh, God, are we sure we're good? Because it's coming back again and I'm feeling this. And well, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts because he knows everything. Random, because he knows everything. Yeah, God's foreknowledge, God's complete knowledge is so comforting because he knows everything. He knows you better than you will ever know you. I love that. God's knowledge trumps my situation. Oh, and I, I've known people that have fretted about 1 John 1, 9. Say, well, have I confessed every little sin? I'm worried about that. Don't be. You're coming to God with a penitent heart. You're coming to God in humility. God knows you. And you are confessing the sins that you know to confess. You're confessing your lifetime of sin. And you're turning to his once for all sacrifice. Which, by the way, is good for all of you, all time. At no time are you stepping back and going, well, I'm not sure if that still counts because uh, I forgot to confess this then. Or is Jesus all of a sudden conditional? Like, this, the, oh yeah, once for all sacrifice, except if you did this, then you better go do a Hail Mary or something. You better have something else going on here or you're going to be toast. No, God's knowledge trumps your situation. What if you're on the other side? What if your heart doesn't condemn you? You see, our first blank here is God's love gives comfort to the anxious. The second one is God's love gives confidence to the faithful. If your heart doesn't condemn you, you can have confidence before God. God's love gives comfort to the anxious and confidence to the faithful. God knows you. God knows the kind of person you were when you confessed your sins to him. God knows you. 
That's why we can never say, oh, I don't know. I don't know if what they did was really true. If they are really a Christian, who do you think you are? They weren't confessing their sins to you. You did not die on that cross. Only God knows the heart. God's love gives comfort to the anxious and gives confidence to the faithful. Love is a command, verses 23 to 24. This is hard because by definition, love is very rarely a command. I'll give you an example. Let's imagine some country where where terrorists are persecuting Christians and let's say a gun goes to someone's head and says, tell me you love me or I shoot you. Just think of that horrible scenario for a second, just for illustrative purposes. You could very easily say, I love you, but you are being coerced into saying, I love you. That's probably not genuine. It possibly could be. You could be just a little bit sick and and you really, that worked for you and you, you, you needed that to love somebody, I guess. But by and large, no. You can't command love. You can't coerce a love. You can coerce obedience. You can coerce a lot of things. But love? I mean, really, truly, from your heart, love? Like, I really, truly mean it. I'm not being, I, no, I'm serious. I mean, I love you. Even if you didn't have a gun to my head, trust me on that. Right. How is love a command? Well, it's a command a couple times in Scripture, isn't it? Jesus commands, we love. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. That is a command. There's nothing conditional about that. There's nothing... So love is a command, you are commanded as a follower of Je- as a disciple of Jesus to love God and to love others. There's no, there's no wiggle room or, or wiggling off the hook there. And so it, 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 it comes to reason then when we all give an account one day in the judgment seat of Christ, God's going to have two categories of questions. Did you love me? Kudos if he says concrete, measurable, attainable. I'm just saying Did you love me? If so, how? Let's look at your life. Did you love others? Did you love like that good Samaritan loved? Did you love like my son Jesus loved? Did you? Were you a a selfless, sacrificial servant? Were you? I mean, love is a command, and this is the command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And, so this, by the way, good doctrine should have good practice. I believe in Jesus. Great. The devil does too. Do you love? To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. No suggestion, command. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So let's have a couple things to ponder here. What parts of of you does verse 23 describe? Look at verse 23. Grab your writing utensil. What part of you is included there? I don't need to hear it. Your paper does. Look at verse 23, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, okay, believing, and to love one another as he commanded us. Is your brain involved? Your thoughts? Yes. 
Is your heart involved in terms of a commitment? Your will? Obviously. What about your actions? What about your words? What about your attitude, how you treat people? Are you a selfless, sacrificial servant? Are you showing this kind of love in a concrete, measurable, and attainable way? Or something you can maybe wiggle out of? I mean, what part of you is not allowed to love? I mean, this is, I don't mean that rhetorically. This is, verse 23 is like an all or nothing kind of thing. Because it's a command. And commands are either obeyed or not obeyed. There's no, well, I did it for a little while, but then I stopped. Okay, fair enough. That means you disobeyed me. Verse 24, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him. How does verse 24 apply all this to your faith? Think in terms of your faith, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I said that on purpose because Holy Spirit makes an entrance here. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So how does verse 24 apply all of this love business to your faith? Finish this question in your heart. If I don't love God the way he expects me to love him, if I don't love others the way he expects me to love me, can I claim to know God? Can I claim to be his disciple? Can I claim to be part of his belonging with him? Jesus said in a very scary verse in Matthew 7, why you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Well, we don't know what you said. Okay, I'll give you a clue. Love God, love others. In fact, love others, love others, love others, love others, love others. You should be loving to the people in your church so much. You should be known as a loving person. You should be known as somebody who loves sacrificially, selflessly. If you are known as a selfish person, grieve, moan, and wail for yourself. If you are known as a, as, as, as a selfish I mean, in that love versus not love, if not love was you, that's kind of like the Highlights magazine, Goofus and Gallant, or something like that. If, if, if you're more not love than love, can I say it? Shame on you. You've got stuff to work on. Your faith is lived out by how you love. And if you think otherwise, reread verse 24. Because don't claim to have the Holy Spirit within you if you're just constantly nonstop disobeying him. That's just how he leads you. You need to follow. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. He's God. Love logic. Love is a verb. It is a present, ongoing, everyday verb. Love logic again. Loving God's way should be like blinking or breathing to the Christian. Automatic. You have parts of your body that are autonomic. You don't think about them. They just happen. Your heart beating. Now somewhere, I, I would imagine, physiologically, some neuron is firing in your brain that is telling your heart, beat, beat, beat. And that tootsie-wootsie comes into the room and your heart goes, beat, beat. Okay, fine. I, <laughs> we sing the, that song from the turn of the century in the good old summertime at the nursing home. You sing about... 
and uh, then she's your tootsie wootsie in the good old summertime. And I always, I always ask, I'm like, tootsie wootsie, what's that all about? I'm too young to know about that. Is that that candy? And they're like, no, that's your girlfriend or boyfriend. I'm like, ah, oh, that special somebody, when he enters the room, your heart goes potato, potato. <laughs> and they giggle. They're 90. <laughs> and they giggle. The tootsie wootsie, I get them to think about that tootsie wootsie they had way back when. There's parts of our body that we don't think about. You don't think about breathing. You really don't think about blinking unless you try not breathing or try not blinking. Then you all of a sudden you'll start thinking about it. I'll never forget whenever you have a sore throat and you can't swallow, your mouth will produce the most spit it ever has produced in your entire life when you can't swallow. You're forced to swallow that stuff. So what is it? What's automatic for you? I, re I have MS. I remember I had a really bad flare-up one year where MS affects the communication between your neurons and your muscles. And the muscles that got weak, I was in college, the muscles that got weak were the muscles, the least muscles you'd expect, the intercostal muscles. Those are the muscles in between your ribs. Every time you take a breath, those muscles go expand and contract. So I couldn't breathe. I couldn't sing. Oh, I miss singing. I got asked to do a wedding, sing the special, and then I got the flare-up, and I had to say, I can't do it. I memorized the song. It was a country song, too. I mean, I had it all ready to go, and I had to pull out. Half of my intercostal muscles wouldn't work, so I would breathe like this. And every tenth breath, I would get a... I just couldn't, it wouldn't expand and contract. Until, if I fell asleep, it would, it would it'd be okay. But I was, it was just torturous. I couldn't breathe. And I was having to think, breathe, 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 breathe. I was having to tell myself, breathe. That was a unique situation. Normally, you don't tell yourself to breathe. Somewhere up there in your neurons, you're, you're communicating, breathe. But otherwise, it's autonomic. It's automatic. You don't have to think about that. What is that with you? Is love, others, and loving God automatic for you? Like breathing is? Or like blinking? I mean, is that something that's on autopilot? Like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, therefore I'm a, I'm a person who loves other people. Yeah. I'll tell you something. My wife spent a, a, a summer of school year in Egypt. And she found out, this is back when she was in high school, and she found out, happy anniversary, honey, if you're listening to this, 15 years this, this day, great, great, great. She found out while she was in Egypt that the Christians had a reputation. That in the Muslim Arabic culture of Cairo and the surrounding suburbs, you could ask for directions and people could lie to your face and it doesn't matter. Evidently, in that expression of Islam in that area, you could just lie and it doesn't matter. We experienced this in Egypt, ourselves, to get on a train. We couldn't read our tickets. And we're like, uh, my conversational Arabic is very lacking. We're trying to read where we're supposed to go. We asked the first person, and he looked at our tickets. He got a smirk on his face. He says, oh, yeah. Yeah, he points over there. Thank God but there was another guy. The second guy, an older man, comes over and says, he waves. And he says, give, you know, give me a ticket, ticket. And he hands it to us, and he looks at the first guy. And he scowls at him. He shakes his head. And he's like, no, 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 sorry. Or something, some very, very really pigeon English. And he says, he points to where we should have gone. We would have missed our train. You see, in that culture, you can lie to someone's face, and it doesn't matter. But Jen found out the Christians in that area, 
they all had a reputation. It was as such, if you want to get good directions, ask a Christian, because they can't lie to you. What was automatic for them? Loving God by being truthful, and loving others and by being truthful. They were known as being truthful. When we stopped in Bethlehem in Israel to go, to go shopping for trinkets or whatnot, because that's what you do, I guess, and they say, you know what? We could go to a Muslim shop, we could go to a Jewish shop, but we always go to the Christian souvenir shop because we know you're not going to get taken advantage of there. And this is the Jewish bus driver. I always take people to the Christian shop. Not the Muslim one, not the Jewish one, the Christian one because you'll get the best fair deals there. For some reason, it was automatic for Christians to be truthful. What's automatic for you? Is it love? What is your love logic? Love does not make any logical sense, except when you're a Christian. Love must be you. And if you don't, can I say it? Can I be bold? If you don't love God and love others, are you a Christian? I can't judge your heart, but I'm not the one that does anyway. This must be you. Can you turn into Mo Curling and Larry and poke Jesus in the eye when he commands you? I don't want to be you on Judgment Day if that's you. You're hearing the good news. If that is you, repent. There is a better way. Love logic for 1 John chapter 3. Thanks for letting me share.